Hello and welcome to the Premier League Podcast, the podcast where three friends who all discover food have their say on the Premier League episode 150, coach. Yes, yes, I would say. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, thank you, man. We should have got some sound effects, to be honest with you. We, we're slacking on that in that, in that regard. Breaking holes and them things, isn't it? That's only got half Only got half um, ever present minus one. That's your new name because I, I can't, I can't not do you like that. It's kind of, kind of a diss, but you did miss one, so I can't, I have to say it. I yeah, but no one, no one remembers that one. So that's not I relevant. That, that's that's why it's relevant. That's why it's relevant. What, what did we speak about in that podcast? Is what it is, man. You. Uh, <laughs> <cool>. <laughs> it's a stacks podcast, so I'll let you do the introductions, coach. All right, um, I will start first with. My brother below me. Uh, Mush, um, how you doing, my brother? I'm very well, thank you. Honoured to be on, on such an auspicious occasion. So, yeah, no, looking forward to it. Not not the best circumstances for, for my current mob, but, you know, delighted to be on and looking forward to talking about it. Uh, it's always a pleasure to have you on, despite the club you support. That's from me, personally. Uh, <laughs> to your right is my boy, Usman. Usman, how you doing, my brother? I'm good, I'm good. Thank you for having me on, man. And obviously, congratulations on the 150. Huge, huge milestone, man. You guys deserve all the plaudits, man. Huge Love respect. my bro. And Osmano, he always has me on his platform as well. So he's helped me grow just as much as we're helping each other. So yeah, much love to you. To his right is, again, making his second appearance on the podcast, Neil Atkinson. How you doing, bro? Very, very good indeed. 150 is absolutely tremendous, gents. Well in. Really good stuff. Thank you, man. Thank you. Trying to be, you know... Trying to be like your club and winning things, you're doing things properly, you know what I'm saying? Whoa, oh, are you giving credit to them for what's Because I'm trying to narrate one time, just one time. Just one time, just kind of one time that we move, you know, just one time. That's like I would never say anything nice about Spurs. Well, because Spurs don't win anything, so what can you say? That's fair. Okay, there you go then. And just above him making his debut on the podcast. From the athletic, Mr. Art Rush, how you doing, brother? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me as well. And uh, congratulations on the 150. Hopefully, there's many more to come. Uh, hopefully, there is. Hopefully, we get to 200 real, real soon in 50 weeks. Should be good. <laughs> <laughs> well, you say it like that, that's really close. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, really, really close. <laughs> I hope we've got outside in 50 weeks. My, my, yeah. my ambitions are limited. <laughs> <laughs> all right then intros are out the way because it is such a stack podcast i won't be my usual hilarious self so <laughs> let's get into uh the games should we start with the the worst man united liverpool i feel like we should start there because it was yeah. such a bad game i wouldn't yeah. I wouldn't, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't call it a bad game it was I a mean. bad game there was nothing it was, it was so safe for both sides wouldn't you agree now i wouldn't agree i think I think Liverpool did try to create things, but right now their front three just don't know what to do with the ball. Right now they just look, look they look um, bereft of ideas, to look short on options. The link up's not there. The same sort of um, drive that they had going forward is not there anymore. Mane's been out of form for a while. Um, Salah just well, Salah was dealt with by Luke Shaw, which you know, shout out Luke Shaw for that one. Uh, Firmino's touches have not been there for a long time. Nor is he finishing well. Um, decision. Uh, making from both sides was poor, namely Firmino and Marcus Rashford on United's side. So I think the game was 
I don't think those it was sort of like a team where both were trying to be cautious. I think Liverpool was trying to make something happen, and the United tried to do that second half a lot more. But both teams just lacked that like that little bit of quality at the end to make something special happen. So I enjoyed the game. I enjoyed the game. I didn't think it was that bad. I didn't enjoy the game at all. I was sweating. <laughs> Honest to God, um, I was I was panicking every time Liverpool went forward. I felt like they were going to score. I know, obviously, you just mentioned the fact that they looked well. Mane in particular is out of form. You know the quality he possesses. For me, to be fair to him, I don't think he was brilliant last season, anyways. Um, and they still won the league, so I don't think he's that much of an issue. I think it's more Mane not contributing because it seems that like a lot of uh, emphasis has been put on Salah, who, like you mentioned, got pocketed by. Luke Shaw, which surprises me as well as much as probably the Liverpool fans, don't get me wrong. But look, I don't, I don't think it was a poor game, but in saying that, a lot of United fans are disappointed because, you know, we didn't go for it at the end, as you know, Kojo. Uh, we didn't take our chances, so to speak. But I think it's probably a fair result uh, with both halves played out. I I, th- I thought United were cowardly uh, over the course of the 90 minutes. Um, I think that uh, if Liverpool went to Old Trafford and the Man United centre-half partnership was Nemanja Matic and Scott McTominay, and we came back with an expected goals of less than one, and we were lucky to get that, I would come away absolutely disgusted uh, in the enterprise. And I think that, ultimately, I think that the manager, the United manager, was trying to be too clever for his own good. Pogba on the right-hand side was just messing about. I thought Fernandez for 45 minutes, the first 45, was genuinely dreadful. Uh, this should have been his big stage and his big moment, and he was... He was constantly the wrong side. He was constantly where he shouldn't be. He was he he wasn't shipping in to help out. So I thought, you know, ultimately, I think. Listen, I think if you you know any side's coming to Anfield, you're going to have to defend, and you're going to have to have a plan to defend. Uh, and United had had that for a period. But what you've just said there, the whole what changes the game, the defining factor of the game is that if Liverpool's from three, if any two of them play their seven out of ten game, Liverpool are half time two up. Uh, the fact that all three of them are five out of ten, maybe even four out of ten, is what defines the match. That's not good defensive play. That's not a good plan to expect the opponents to be poor, uh, to plan for them being poor. You know, I think you can deal with players, and I think the Salah Luke Shaw things are decent <coughs> enough shout. But you know, Roberto Firmino should just kick it in the goal on one occasion, and should just pass it to um, pass it to Andy Robertson, who'd then be eight yards out on another occasion. That is not good defending. That's hanging on for dear life, and that's just not being punished. And United should have been punished first half. I think in the end, by the time the game wraps itself up, listen, I think United find the way a little bit in the second half, and that's been the story of the season. But I'm looking at that there, and I'll be dead honest with you. I've I've come away from that game absolutely convinced that Man United are winning nothing with that fella in charge. Winning absolutely nothing with that fella in charge. I was worried about United with reference to the title before this weekend. I was thinking, you know, if it goes to about 77 points, etc., etc. But between what City have been doing recently and combined with what I've just seen from Manchester United there, genuinely, it wasn't dissimilar to the EFL Cup semi-final. If, if Liverpool score from a set-piece or if Firmino scores on the 60th minute mark and it goes 1-0 Liverpool, it then the game breaks and it probably goes 2-0 Liverpool and it follows exactly the same pattern as that match where United should have been in it and never really were. And for all the talent that United squad's got, I genuinely think you, you, you're deluding yourself, United supporters, if they feel as though they've got a fighting chance of achieving anything while Solskjaer's sat there in the dugout. Well, um, I'll start first. First and foremost, regarding uh, what you said about the manager being disgraceful, the manner in which he approached the game. Look, 
for me personally, as a Manchester United fan, I've never seen this go to. I've, I can't remember the last time we went to Anfield earlier really, and put up a proper fight. I think watching yeah. the Man City game, I hear the comparison. I do. I do agree with your comparisons. And I actually said to Kojo yesterday that um, Liverpool should have scored in the first half, especially. I think the Firmino chance you could say on another day he hits it better. It was more the pass that he should have played to Robertson. I don't know why Absolutely. he should have played that pass. I think that's. Obviously, when I spoke to Koja yesterday, I said to him that, in my eyes, that's a clear-cut chance. Obviously, people talking about Bruno and the Pogba chances. I think Liverpool had an equally as good chance with that one because he has to pass that ball. Um, you saw Angelina score passes for RB Leipzig with the exact same effort across exactly, the ball. I was yes. expecting Robertson to... That's what I was expecting uh, um, him to be Angelino in that situation. It's a goal across goal. It's one nil to Liverpool. Then I'm expecting, obviously, you guys to come for us. The, where I defend Oli, and obviously Koja knows my thoughts on Oli, so I'm not his biggest fan. But where I defend him is, if we haven't got a proper CDM, and if, I'm sure Koja would agree with me, McTominay and Fred together, right? You don't know what's going to happen in terms of defensively. Thiago was going past Fred like he wasn't there most of that game uh, for yeah. the first 25, yeah. 30 minutes. And I can only imagine if Oli was a bit more adventurous and it wasn't so uh, defensive in the manner in which we approached the game, you probably would have been 2 0 up because it was so easy for Thiago to get past us and dominate the ball when we were so defensive. Imagine if we were a bit more gun ho with our approach. I think you would have ripped us open. And I think, again, I'm not sure what the United fans think. Our defence is an absolute myth at the moment. Um, these sort of statistics that say, oh, we're improving defensively, they're complete myth because it's nothing to do with our defence. We're not defending any better. We're conceding a lot of quite clear core opportunities. It's either a last-ditch block by Bailey or last-ditch save by David De Gea. Or, it's all last-ditch. Every single one of our games that people have been praising us defensively has been last-ditch tackling. So for me... I don't see that as good defending. I see that as okay on another day. It goes against you. I think that's fair, but the thing I'd say is, listen, Liverpool are playing Fabinho and Henderson <laughs> centre half. Now, Fabinho, I think, has done ever so well at the heart of the yeah. defence, but he's not brilliant in the air. So you, there's a there's a world where you play two on two against them, Cavani and one of Rashford and Martial, and just pin them and make their lives practically impossible. Well, and he doesn't the, want to do that. And I think that's yeah. a, you know from a United I'm point of view, we can do that to them. I, yeah, I, f I feel like the tactics, I don't know what Koja thinks, but I think the tactics are quite obvious what we're trying to do. First and foremost, Rashford's not played up front when Martial's on the pitch. For, I can't remember the last time that's even happened. Yeah. Rashford started up front. It was it was obvious what they were doing. Get the ball, hopefully Pogba gets it deep, basically a quarterback, hit you over the top, Rashford do Henderson for pace. For me personally, that didn't work for the first 17 times we did it, so why not change it the 18th time? <laughs> like, he was either offside. I call it Marcus and Zaghi for a reason. Like The guy's born offside, basically. You know what I mean? Like, it's not working. You gotta change something. Like, for me personally, my frustration was that Van der Beek didn't get come on the pitch. It was yep. quite obvious. Our ball retention was so poor. And then when we had a bit of ball retention, as you mentioned, Bruno not obviously performing to the level we would expect, we caused you problems going forward. And that was because we, we offered something in terms of keeping the ball, playing it along the ground, and then actually playing football instead of just hitting the ball in behind like with Stoke City. And hopefully Rashford uses his pace and gets on the end of it. So, in that sense, I hear what you're saying. He was, I don't, I wouldn't say he was cowardice. I think the tactics were, I hear, I see what the tactics were, but I just don't like it because I felt like we could have offered more with the quality of players we've got. Well, I, I think just to add to what you both said actually, because you've you've made some legit points there. I think I think one thing that I was really surprised by United's approach is that you've got a player like Jordan Henderson, right? Who's who hasn't played at centre-back throughout his youth years. This isn't a position where, you know, he's just come out of into senior football. And I felt that a basic approach of just trying to knock it over the line 
or knock it over the, the back line we had was the exact thing that Henderson would be comfortable seeing because he has a lot of time to work out what he's going to do. Whereas if you're going to interchange, if you're going to play short, if you're going to have a have forwards who are making sharp and clever runs, runs and positions where Jordan Henderson isn't familiar with, that's when you probably would have seen him struggle. And And I just don't think that United approached it, like Neil said, until about the 70th minute or so, where there was a lot of good one-touch exchange on the counter-attack, where I think United made some good areas and positions. I, I just felt United played the exact opposite way of how they should have played. Because yeah. like Neil said, whenever are you going to play against Liverpool Football Club with two central midfielders playing at the back? Yeah, no, just to add, obviously, before I saw now speak, the, the thing is, when I seen your lineup, right, I was absolutely mm-hmm. baffled that Cavani is not starting. Yeah. The most elite movement in the club, by country, it's not even close. You can add up all Rashford Greenwood and Martial's IQ oh. and they'll still be below Cavani's. That's how much he's above them. One of the best in European football. Exactly, yeah. and you just you just said it much. That's exactly what me and Cole just said in the preview. We will win this game if Cavani is playing on Henderson's shoulder. Playing behind him, he's not going to be able to deal with his movement because he's not a centre-back. Even Fabinho was struggling as Cavani. And as you mentioned, 70th minute onwards, what a shot Cavani was on the pitch and we looked like we are going to score. Because his movement is creating space for other players to find those pockets. Bruno even looked like half a decent play in that last 20 minutes. Like, everyone was contributing to the attacks. And it's just... It's just one of those things that we should have, we could have potentially won the game if we were more um, sort of ambitious, so to speak. But in hindsight, it's a long season, a point to Anfield. I'll take it for now. That seems to be fair. Um, I would just talk about Liverpool now, and it seems I don't know. Could you put any blame on Klopp for not identifying that? Because, I mean, if, you, if you're looking at it, it's kind of disgraceful that he has two two centre midfielders playing at centre-back. Jordan Henderson, like you said, isn't a, has never played centre-back. And Fabinho, he's been a right-back, been a centre-back, been a DM, that, that sort of type of player. But, obviously, nobody foresaw the injury that Van Dijk had. But with Joe Matip and with um, uh, Joe Gomez, they're both two very injury-prone defenders. Could any block be levied at... Can any block? Can any blame be levied at Klopp? for not uh, identifying that problem and then solving it with buying a centre-back. Well, it's worth saying that Liverpool have deepened the problem over the summer because he lets Lovren go. Uh, Lovren wants to go, but he lets Lovren go in order to bring in Chimikas, who we've barely seen. He's not kicked it uh, all the way through the season. Liverpool had a decision to make ultimately in terms of budget. It's worth remembering as a pandemic. Real Madrid did not buy anybody last summer and made €100 million Euros in profits in terms of their sales. Uh, so, you know, it's worth remembering all of that from a Liverpool point of view. Liverpool have got the fifth highest wage budget in the world. That money's going somewhere. It's going to footballers. But the thing I would say is I would always rather have too many centre-backs and too many centre-midfielders and we'll sort fall back out later. And from, from Klopp's point of view, Klopp spent a lifetime at Liverpool where he's not had enough full-backs and he's had loads of flack for it from Liverpool supporters. Similarly, he held on to Dejan Lovren for another season and everybody slaughtered Klopp and everybody slaughtered Lovren and ultimately what we're actually seeing this season is that Klopp was right for the previous two seasons. Frankly, you are better off having James Milner at left-back and having an additional centre-half than you are where Liverpool have ended up, to be quite honest with you. Uh, And I think that, you know, you look at sides, you look at Ferguson's teams, City win at the weekend with Zinchenko at left back. You know, there are sides throughout history who have been brilliant sides who do make do amend in full back positions, in wide midfield positions. You don't do make do amend in the spine. 
And I think Liverpool have got it wrong. But to say that, as I say, this is what Liverpool supporters wanted. Liverpool supporters wanted Lovren out the club and they wanted Liverpool to buy cover for Andy Robertson. So they've got what they wanted. And I think we've got to remember that. And listen, don't get me wrong. I think Liverpool have had a plan to strengthen at centre-half next summer. This was a bit of a gamble that they've taken to get Thiago in now, uh, make those decisions, get Jota in now, add that additional threat. Uh, but so far, it's fair to say it hasn't come off because I think if it had come off, Liverpool would have somewhere between four to nine more points as a minimum um, and it'd be a much better nick. But this is the gamble and, and this is what the gamble not coming off looked like. But I will say it again, lots of Liverpool supporters, especially the ones who I can describe as very online, were very desperate to see Liverpool invest in a left-back position and very desperate to see Dejan Lovren not play for Liverpool anymore. Yeah, I, I think just to add to, to kind of what Neil's saying, because... I, th I think there's there's other things that I, I mean you don't expect sympathy from outside the club because that's the nature of football. It's all about you know rivalry and whatnot. But I don't think any club accounts for their literally their senior three or four centre backs all getting injured at the same time. I don't know if provisions can be made for that. And I definitely agree. You go as deep as you can in a key position like that. I think where I I feel the discussion isn't being had is that. For all the problems Liverpool have had in terms of getting personnel on the pitch, the goals Liverpool are not shipping goals. The Liverpool are not conceding any more than any other side. It, even in this terrible run, the, the, it's been outscoring opponents. It's not that we're conceding three and having to salvage a situation. And I think, and I think where a discussion, and I don't know if Neil agrees with this, needs to be had is that I. I've seen for weeks now, and I'm sure every Liverpool fan who watches us will say that there's been a lot of, there's been a lack of click in the way, the way the ball moves. And obviously because Liverpool build from the back, a lot of that was attributed from the starters not playing and a player maybe as good as Van Dijk or Matip, especially when he brings the ball out on the ball. But I think where I, I have a bit of accusation for Mane and Salah, especially um, on the weekend, was that there have been games on end now where you can sympathise with Mane and Salah not receiving the ball in good positions such mm. that they can't do anything. But I felt that on Sunday, they did receive the ball in good yep. position and they could have forced situations. And I, I, uh, one of the boys on Cop and Fracas, Mike, we, we had an argument because he told me that Salah couldn't get into the game. But I said, if you look at the second half especially, how many times Mohamed Salah received the ball with his back to a fullback in the left channel or standing him up facing the goal? These are positions where Mohamed Salah has terrorised the Premier League for two, three years. And he hasn't, he hasn't produced what we're used to him producing. So whereas the games like the Southampton game and the Newcastle game, you could sympathise that in open play, we're not creating. This was not the case against United. This was a blatant lack of quality and confidence that... I don't know how you break this cycle of feeling like you won't beat your man because I haven't seen Mohamed Salah beat his man in, in weeks on end now. And, it, and it's really frustrating because you don't really know what's changed. I don't know if you have any thoughts about that, Neil. No, I think that's really valid. I think it's all very valid. And I think that there's been, listen, there's been a bit of, I was, I was fortunate through a weird set of circumstances to end up in the ground for the game against West Brom. And I think that when Matip gets injured, it was like the whole team took a body blow of God. And they began to worry massively about what was happening in the right-hand centre-half channel. And in the end, it doesn't help. They get undone and nerves spread everywhere. And that happens in football matches. But Liverpool's structure and shape and press was good against Manchester United. 
the front three got the ball in good areas against Manchester exactly. United, especially in the first half, and they've got to do more with it. And there's no mitigating circumstances for me on that one. There's been mitigating circumstances, don't get me wrong, but on that one, there's no mitigation. You, you literally need to play better in a big match. All three of you need to play better in a big match. And, and I think that that's something which... You know, it'll change, it'll come. You know, I think there's been... I don't think all three of them have played well for back-to-back games, all three at once, since the 17-18 since the, uh, season. I think Agreed. what... And, and I don't think it happens. I don't think... I don't think it happens in football where all 11 players play well at the same no. time. It's and a I ridiculous thought- place where there's not even five at the moment for Liverpool who are. But it's not, the, it's not the manager's job to get all three of them playing well. It's the manager's job to get results in football matches. Exactly. And Liverpool have been getting that, but there tends to be at least one who's in good form at any given moment, and often two are in good form. At the minute for Liverpool, all three have played themselves into pretty poor form. And I think that it's something... For, and then the next issue for this is the manager can look at that, watch that, and then at the minute he looks at his bench and he doesn't have Jota to throw on. He's already started with Shaqiri in a game like this one, so he hasn't got a Shaqiri move to make. And he ends up just, I think, dwelling a little bit because he's thinking... Neil, you know, Neil, for me, can I ask you a question, Joe? Yeah, can I ask you a question? Because um, towards the end of last season, right, uh, when Man United post-lockdown, the last four games of the season, we were absolutely shocking. And we got the results, whatever it may be. But... It was a clear case, and I think it's the case at the moment now with potentially Bruno Fernandes, that they're burnt out. Like with, especially with Liverpool in particular. Um, I'm just throwing it out here, obviously you'll know better than me. You guys play a very high-pressing game. It's obviously rock star football, whatever you call it. Um, rock and roll sort of football. I, I feel like there might be a case where they're burnt out. You saw when Jota was playing. You, Salah was performing quite well at that point. Obviously him and Jota were kind of carrying the four. I know Mane hasn't really done it this season, but I feel like with Jota in the team as well, it was taking the burden off money. It was taking the burden on Salah because yeah. there was another person, fresh legs, taking that sort of ownership and there wasn't as much pressure on them. At the moment, they have to play every single game and you've got to remember, they've been performing at a very high level for two seasons on the bounce now. They're just going through a lot similar to Aubameyang right, at Arsenal. I know he scored twice last night. But Aubameyang, he's just a normal player as well, but then his right to have a lull is part yeah. of passing or players' football. It's just, it's just the effect. It's coinciding at the same time because potentially the club no, I think, burn out. I think I think I think that I think the cycle I think it's as much a psychological thing as it is a physical thing. We can see in every game that players are playing with less intensity. Lack yeah. of fans, lack of preseason, what's gone on around last summer and when they themselves couldn't literally couldn't train properly for a period of time. I think footballers the foot the football is poorer now than it has been, I think, for about three years. But I think Liverpool have a very specific couple of issues around that and I think that one is that Liverpool the Liverpool assistant manager is on record as saying our intensity is our identity and at the minute Liverpool are struggling to be intense so therefore Liverpool are struggling for identity and I think that that is a problem and I think that if everyone is less intense then Liverpool are going to suffer from it more than anyone else the other thing that Liverpool are struggling with is that sides are treating games against Liverpool like training sessions not least because there's no one in the ground our game against Newcastle I'm convinced I'm not saying we would have won it if there had been a crowd in with 20 to go but someone would have won it because it would have been the Wednesday night over Christmas, 55,000 in St. James's Park, everyone smashed, they've been out all day, and the crowd would have made something happen. And, it, you know, one and four times, that's a Newcastle winner, three and four times, that's a Liverpool winner. But what's happening is Newcastle just stay in shape, because they're good point, it's a good point for them, and they haven't got 50,000 lunatics screaming at them to attack. And I think all of this is hurting Liverpool, but I think there's another thing as well, which is that you, you go through two years, effectively, like you're saying, of playing the most intense high tempo high octane football you can possibly imagine to win a league title 
and then you win a league title. And if you look, no one's retained, other than City, no one had retained the title in the whole of the previous decade. You've got to go all the way back to 09 with United to see the last time someone had retained the yeah. title. So you've got to go through the slog again. But not only have you not got to go through the slog again, your fans aren't in. They haven't got to sing your name as champions. You haven't had the parade. All the prizes that they give you, all the good things about being in a footy team where you've worked so hard. Liverpool haven't had that release. They haven't had it once. They haven't had one moment with their own supporters where they've been champions. And I think that there is, genuinely, I think the burnout thing is, uh, you know, it isn't just the idea that the legs are tired. I think it's like, what are we actually doing all this for? Because we still get paid. If <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, why are we putting ourselves through this? And I think there is a little problem for that for this Liverpool side. And especially when Klopp's talked so much about togetherness, about the idea that we do it for the people. They talk loads about the parade after they won the Champions League. Loads of this journey for this Liverpool team's been based around the connection between it and the crowd. Man City away, Man City at home in the 4-3 when we beat them 4-3 is the start of a lot of this when the atmosphere was unreal. And I think that all of that's made it really tricky all that to say that th these aren't mitigating circumstances for me you've still got to perform because you're elite driven professionals and you call you've been called mentality monsters because you've been mentality monsters but to go from a pinnacle of winning 26 out of 27 which they do at the start of last season and end up in this absolute slog that this season is you know we've got Burnley coming on Thursday night and if I was Mo Salah I'd think I'm going to get kicked they're going to put their arm around my neck there's going to be no face it's not going to be any fun at all yeah. All this is coming. I'm getting no protection from the officials in normal play. I don't want to talk about penalties. But Maguire is another footballer this season who's been pictured with his hand around Mo Salah's neck without consequence. And there's a point where someone's got to get a grip of a referee as far as I'm concerned. Like, I mean, a Liverpool player during the match and say, stop letting him be grabbed by the neck. It happens every game at the minute. Someone puts their arm around his neck. That's not football. Kick him by all means. Don't put your arm around his neck. Um, and I think that all of that, I think they'll be thinking, Jesus, Burnley are just going to come and it's going to be a line of four, a line of four, who we were going to sit right in and it's all going to be no laughs. Van Dyke's injured and I just play the lads who look like they're enjoying themselves. I play Thiago and Shakiri again because I think for Liverpool, they needed to be fresh. Yeah. Um, um, sorry, can yes, I ask a question? Yeah, yeah. Art's been nicely chilling for a while. I just want to get his take on this. Um, Something popped up this morning, actually, that quite surprised me. Dion Mohamed came out and sort of spoke about Thiago's role at Liverpool and said it doesn't really suit the way Liverpool play. Um, do you think there is an issue with Thiago? Because we have sure we've all watched Thiago. He's a quality midfielder. We've seen how he was at uh, Barca. He's younger than years, And then, obviously, at Bayern Munich last season. Fantastic for them, helping them win um, a treble. Uh, I think it was a treble. So... Do you think he is an issue? Because I don't, I don't really see a problem with him being there. I think he's a high quality player, which Klopp is a very good manager enough to make him fit in a Liverpool system. I don't I know. Wish what... Games so that we could call him an issue. Let's let him play ten games. <laughs> on the way. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Can he have but... ten games of getting crocked by an Evertonian. That'd be nice. <laughs> <laughs> but one, do you see him as? An, do you think there's an issue with him playing in that team just yet? Do you think he still needs to fit in there or find a way to fit in there properly? And two. After watching that game, which one of those two teams do you look at and say they would cause City a problem more? Because City are my favourites right now. Who do you think would cause more of a problem for City in the long run? Yeah, well, for the first one, the, I don't think there's any chance of Thiago being a problem in that Liverpool team. I think during that game, he was the highlight for me from a yeah. Liverpool perspective because I think even the way he receives the ball, when, when it's coming to him, he almost already knows where his marker is and he knows which way to turn to to get away from him and then spray a pass away. And I think from looking at the game from a Liverpool perspective, it was him who was making the real difference and the person that looked most like 
impact in the game in a positive way. And it just didn't seem that, I know the guys have already touched on it, but it didn't seem like Firmino was up to the quality or didn't have enough confidence to back that up with uh, the correct pass in some circumstances or uh, a quality finish. And I think the problem was more what happened in the final third because Liverpool had no problem actually getting to that point. It was just what happened after that. And so with that, I don't think Thiago's the problem at all. It's just about getting the confidence uh, back for the players that are playing ahead of him. And uh, what was the second part of the question? Sorry. Um, so if, who? So obviously, I think City are the favourites for me at the moment in time. Mm-hmm. But after watching that game between Liverpool and United, obviously they've got to play each other again in the FA Cup and in the league again. But after that game, who do you look at and say, looks, I don't say more impressive, but could possibly pose more of a threat going forward considering Liverpool's issues with the front three, for example, United not being so good defensively, but getting away with it? I'd still go for Liverpool just because I feel that with Manchester United, if you're a title challenger, you don't go to a rival club, even if it is Liverpool at Anfield and set up how you set up. With Paul Pogba on the right, there was no real chance of them creating anything from themselves. And they just come in. So I was watching the game and I was actually falling asleep at times because Manchester United just sunk back into their box and just waited just like almost like they were a relegation team hanging on. And it, I shouldn't really be saying that. And no one should be saying that about a Manchester United team um, in 2021. I think when when you're Manchester United, even though it's going to be a difficult task to go to Anfield and get a proper win, you have to approach the game in some way that shows you actually mean business. And I don't think they did that at Anfield. So with that being said, and the fact that uh, Liverpool have uh, Diogo Jota to come back. And I feel they're going forward, their attack's a bit more, maybe formulaic is the wrong word, but they have a plan going forward. I think that probably makes me believe in them a bit more than Manchester United. There's a couple of comments from Worldwide Red Show about you know pressing and Thiago and pressing and all that sort of stuff. Firstly, he played for the Bayern Munich side that pressed brilliantly. But ultimately... There's nothing to press when we play at the minute because sides just come. United, first 30 minutes, there was nothing to press. Every time they kicked, they got it, they tried to kick it long effectively uh, and see if they could find Rashford over the top. They didn't try and play any football of note. A couple of times they do, we nick it back. And then when they actually got settled, they played they played all right for five minutes or so. But there's nothing mm-hmm. to press. We play games. We go to Newcastle and Newcastle don't want to play football. They get the ball, they kick it away. Yeah, you can't press, and that's so much easier in your own ground. That's so much easier to do in your own ground when there's no fans present. Because there aren't fans going, why are you just kicking to touch? Why are you just kicking the ball up the pitch? But that literally is what happens at the minute when sides play Liverpool for 90 minutes. And I'll be honest, it's dismal watching some of these games. And trust me, we're not playing very well. And we're doing my head in. But there's times where I'm just watching up. Tottenham came to Anfield, and bar 15 minutes in the second half, they barely did any football. They just basically kept the shape and kicked it away. Great lads, all the best. I mean, you know, we're in a pandemic here, can we have some entertainment? And the situation with no one in the ground makes it far easier to just play 90 minutes of anti-football in any given game, home or away. And we're going to Spurs soon. And it's going to be absolutely miserable. They're going to be worse than us, mate. You thought we were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, I think when we were playing, we just tried to uh, 
it's this thing where I, I, I knew I like what you said at the beginning when you said that you are now convinced for hundred percent that United are not going to do anything with this guy because it looked like we're trying to do everything in one pass and you are not going to do everything in one pass with with McTominay and Fred being the two midfielders that collect the ball from midfield to try oh and do something God. going long, especially with twenty one energy. Where's the twenty one energy? I'm I'm sorry. They've just got to the first page of Premier League and he's chatting like this. Yeah, um, but we're not going to achieve that. And he had, uh, what's his name, Pogba trying to be like Aaron Lennon on the wing, which just isn't going to happen. So I don't know. But Bush, you said you wanted to talk about Trent. So we'll go there and then we'll go on to the next game. What is it they want to talk about Trent Alexander-Arnold? I, do you know what? It's, it's more than just talk, I'm just I just need somewhere to put my thoughts because I'm a lost man at the moment. As to <laughs> it, it's it, I, I think there needs to be something said about it's all well and good just saying a player's playing badly, but it, it's all about looking at is he doing things he normally does but just not well, or is it that he's doing things that are unlike him? And I think with Trent, I'm seeing a lot of the latter. So. Trent, Trent Alexander-Arnold is not just a guy, as much as Twitter will try and tell you, who just gets the ball out of his feet and crosses it wherever he is. He might look like that right now, but Trent Alexander-Arnold is usually a player who has a variety of specialised passes. He normally can whip it into Firmino's feet. He's got a great whipped ball down the line to Salah when, when Salah gets on his bike as well. And he also varies his crosses. It's not always, you know, just whipped at head height. Sometimes it's a cutback. There's just so much to Trent's game, where right now, forget being predictable, he he doesn't look like he's even thinking about doing something different to, again, like I keep saying the words, breaking the cycle of this these poor choices and doing something good and building on that. And there were even moments, I, I, I said it recently on, on, on the Touchline pod, that there was a moment, I don't know if you recall, Neil, about 60, 70th minute, where Mohamed Salah pointed to Trent to overlap and by the time Trent decided to even go and overlap United had tripled up on Mohamed Salah so what do you expect Salah to do and you are not going to gain advantages in big games unless you create a numbers advantage on the pitch to actually force a situation especially with a team as deep as United just just a quick, the comment came up there from the United way and he made some fair comments during this, but I disagree with that one. I actually think Trent is defending really well and there's a couple of examples of it during this match where, for instance, he comes across on the cover. Over the course of the 90 minutes, Trent at right-back deals with Bruno Fernandes, uh, Martial and Marcus Rashford and not one of them gets very much joy out of Trent's channel. And all Agreed. the way through the season, he's been on the cover defending really well, far better than he has done in the past, to be honest with you. Uh, but the issues are, are as much as just described it. Um, you do wonder whether or not the COVID thing, you know, he had COVID, it's now been confirmed and that's still played a part. But I actually think what's, he's been, for me, the footballer who's most suffered with Liverpool's shape issues because of who's playing right-hand side at centre-half. If you're the experienced right-back and you've got Reese Williams or Nat Phillips or Jordan Henderson, for that matter, playing next to you at centre-half, You've got to think, right, I've got to be more responsible. I've got to stay deeper. And I think with loads of stuff with Trent, you mentioned there the overlap thing, Mush. One of the things is his starting position. So his starting position is currently 15 yards deeper. Oh, it's miles back, yeah. So he's, but the reason for that is because he's concerned. 
And I think he is, when I said before, the front three haven't got mitigation and certainly haven't got mitigation at the weekend. I think Trent still does have mitigation. I think Trent, when Liverpool are absolutely on it, Fabinho's playing holding midfield, Henderson's the right-hand side channel of the midfield three. Uh, you know, Van Dijk and Gomez are behind him. He can go and play almost like, not even like a right mid, but like a right winger. He can go that high up the pitch and know if we lose the ball, all this structure behind me, Henderson, Fabinho, Gomez, Van Dijk on the cover, Alisson, the keeper, is going to look after me. At the minute, he's going. Well, I've got, I've got, I've got lads who haven't played ten games at, at centre half playing inside me. One, I've got no Jordan Henderson making it happen for me. I've got no holding midfielder like Fabinho normally is sat in there for me either. At the weekend, for instance, he doesn't even have that. And most Salah's off his game, so I'm I'm 15 yards deeper, and I think that we'll we'll know on Trent when he's you know later in the when if and when Liverpool address centre half properly. I think Trent plays well in a couple of games this season when he's got Matip the right-hand side at centre-half, when someone can say, lad, go 15 yards further forward. And I think until then, it's not fair. Um, you know, it's, um, And I think he might also, as I say, still be struggling with the aftermath of COVID. Ah, oh, yeah, of course. Of course, yeah. Let's uh, get one more question on, on United. Let's, let's talk about, I'd say the elephant room, Bruno Fernandes. Everybody's saying that this was the game <laughs> for him to show up and to, to tell the Premier League that I'm easily, the I'm, one, I'm the best midfielder in the Premier League. Maybe, I don't know, but maybe that's what people are saying. Um, why didn't he manage to do what he usually does, which is affect, affect the game quite as, as well as he usually does? Because he's not done that in any of the big games this season. The guy yeah, dropped... Go on, Kodja, sorry. I've got, uh, I've got a rebuttal. Go on, you say you're... Okay, so, no, it's, no, it's for me, bro. I mean, me and Osmo agreed. He dropped a two out of ten. Simple as that. And if he had scored yeah. that chance that he had, it would have taken him from a two to a four or five. Oh, I would have given him a three still. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, it was just it was just an appalling F, um, game. None of his passes were pulled off right because I feel he was rushing it too much. I yeah. feel like there was no sort of composure to his game. He was trying to um, force things that weren't there. And that has often been a criticism from other fans of him. And that's tried to say that, you know, in some occasions, I would look at the forward line and say, if you are a creative midfielder and you are looking for your forwards to make runs in behind and they're always waiting ball to feet, you're not going to be able to create that many chances unless they then force something with the ball at their feet. That's when a chance is created. So, you know, I usually do try and defend him, but on this occasion, on this game, he there was nothing whatsoever he did right in this game. There was no defence for it. And um, my issue with Bruno is, I understand, and I've, def I've said this as well, that in games where he's dropped stinkers, and I have used these, this term... Every time I say he has dropped stinkers, but the reason why we love him is because one way or another, even in a poor performance, he still manages to, like Usman said, affect the game. He'll one way or another score a goal, whether it's a penalty or it's a long range shot or a header, like against Everton, for example. He's going to affect. Most likely a penalty, game. but yeah, continue. Yeah. All right, all right, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah, in fact, yeah, 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 yeah. You was like your penalty, but it was just one of those shocking, shocking performances. And this is the game that we want you to shine in because it's Liverpool. More often than not, even when Liverpool had the days of, I don't know, Koncheski back to Ngog, <laughs> cinema Pongol, those days didn't no. matter. Didn't matter exactly those days. It didn't matter. You knew the rivalry was United versus Liverpool. That's the be all and end all. No matter where any club of, of us are, it's Liverpool. So when you come into this game, knowing as you guys have said, Liverpool have two midfielders in defence, knowing that this should be a game that you should try and affect. It, for me, it was just very, very poor to see him perform like that, and I do not want to see another Mike, Mike, can I ask you a question, Usman? You can you can chime in on this as well. 
do, do you think it's necessarily a bad thing that look football is, is a tactical sport right it's, it's it's a game of chess played on the pitch right so is it necessarily a bad thing if the manager is willing to think that maybe there's a tactic or a system I can use that doesn't involve Bruno, which might maximise my chances of winning the game. Is that necessarily a bad thing? Or is Oli that tactically rigid that he feels like the only solution is to just have my best players on the pitch? I honestly, I listen, just, just to answer both questions in one, first and foremost, right, tactically, we basically hung up Bruno to try this game. The way we've been playing throughout the season where you've seen success with <laughs> Prime, uh, where you've seen hilarious. success with Bruno Fernandes is that Pogba gets the ball from deep, he plays the ball through the lines, Pogba and Matic, they play the ball through the lines, it gets to Bruno's feet, um, he in the in the pocket where you want him to be, he gets an opportunity to turn, play a pass through or obviously do what he wants to do. In this game, first and foremost, credit to Liverpool, they didn't give him a second. Every time he got a ball, every time he got the ball, he's practically having to pass it away. First or second touch. I think they did really well to not give him opportunity to obviously control the game. My issue with Bruno Fernandes is right, and I'll be the, one of the people criticising him. And the reason being, if you see it, you know when, you, know when you're playing football, right, and someone crosses the ball over to you, and it's on the volley, and in your head you're thinking, I probably shouldn't hit this on the volley because I'm probably not going to score, but I've got to, and it's teed up for me to hit on the volley. You hit it, and it goes to the rose and you're like, oh, but it is what it is. He does that 10 out of 10 times. So it's <laughs> it, his name in headlights all the time. Literally, literally there'll be like a hot, like a, a ball will come over to him and it'll be on the half volley. And you say, no, you should really take a touch here. You should really <laughs> play first touch on the half volley, 50 yards. And, you know, it might work one out of 10 times, but I probably should bring it down. He will go for it 10 out of 10 times. And he does it consistently. There's a clip on Twitter when McTominay flicks it to him, just dinks it over. And he just hits it and it goes to Pogba somehow and Pogba gets it. But... He just does it all the time. His ball retention is not good enough. However, if plays in that position, you can't really sort of pull that back from them because that's what makes it brilliant. Um, so with Bruno Fernandes to come back, why he hasn't done it in big games? Man United this season in big games, tactically, have been absolutely shocking. So it's not Bruno Fernandes, it's Man United Football Club. That's true. I think a lot of people are uh, focusing on Bruno Fernandes a lot here. Yeah? Because he's a star man, he's got to do it in the big games, as you would associate any other big players around the world. Um, but for me personally, it's because the way we set up every single game, you can go through every single game we played against the big so-called big teams, and tactically we set up negatively, which has impacted his performance. Because the amount of time he gets the ball and in space to actually do something is next to none. And especially when Pogba was playing on right mid, that was never going to benefit him. Because Pogba doesn't get enough credit for what he does. His ability to pass the ball through the lines doesn't even get mentioned half the time. Pogba starts so many bad times. And yeah. um, Bruno Fernandes are missing that. But for me personally, the issue isn't Bruno Fernandes. The issue is the tactics and the system and the way we're playing in these big games. Hence, everyone has been poor in the big games for Man United at the moment, for me personally. That's why certain men have to leave the club. <laughs> <laughs> What are you talking about? But um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. A few weeks ago, last week it was Oli Ian, but anyway, it is what it is. Hold on, 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 hold on. Listen, we went, we went on a podcast called Vibes FC. So my full, my full intention was just talking the most crud, and you enjoyed. You went on a full Chiellini run. You brought back the Chiellini days. 
You told them that, that, that was rooted in truth, though. That was rooted in, rooted in fact. You, you. I didn't say only in. I enjoyed the no, fact bro, that truth that, 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 that was the energy I got. That was the energy I got. Who's first, bro? Who's first, man? You got Arteta in that? Can we ask that question? You and R, can you please answer what's happening with Arteta? That might be a perfect segue, actually. Yeah, you guys back on the bandwagon for Arteta. What's going on? Me, I'm not. But let's go to Arch. Are you? Are you? Are you back on the bandwagon? If you were off it to begin with. I wasn't off it because basically I knew that Arsenal were quite confident in Arteta because, well, first things first, they gave him a longer contract than they gave Unai Emery. So I think that's something you have to consider when it comes to these sort of decisions. If you're giving um, Mikel Arteta a three-and-a-half-year contract when you gave Unai Emery a two-year contract with an option mm. of a third, you can tell where their thinking is. And I think... With that, it, it would have been quite quite silly to jump on the um, the Arteta out bandwagon, bandwagon, even if the results were uh, much below the standard of any Arsenal fan. And I think with that, you kind of got the snowball effect of what was happening with the indecisiveness of Mikel Arteta at that point in time. Because from the outside, even looking in, you could see how desperate he was at times, clutching to... Thomas Partey's fitness, for example, at the Tottenham game where he rushed him back and then he was injured straight away. Yeah. But now I think we're seeing uh, more of what his plan was uh, when when we returned from lockdown uh, the first time <laughs> back in the summer. He wanted to play a back four, but he, he quickly realised he couldn't do that effectively. So he switched to the back three and kept that in till November, tried to change it up again. And that's where the wheels started to uh, fall off again. And I think now that, uh, especially with Emil Smith-Rowe at the number 10 yeah. position in that creative role, now with that kind of um, platform there, there's something to build from. And you can probably see a little bit more of uh, what he wanted to to bring to the club at first. Um, part of me agrees with that. But then again... It's, I would say it's it's kind of unacceptable for Arsenal to be in this kind of position. I mean, it might be me on my, my high horse. I mean, I've, I've been alive since 93, so I've only really known success at the club. So, But then again, this team isn't as bad as 15th, which we were. I think well, I don't know where we finished last season. I can't I keep getting it mixed up, hey, but it was, that was, hey, hor it was horrible. Hey, <laughs> Jump on, jump on! Yeah, you're consistent. You're consistently the average. Consistent. We have been, which is fair. But then again, I, I don't think anybody in this on on, on it right now would would say that Arsenal are with the talent that we have a 15th uh, place team. I don't think anybody would would say that. Is these five games, which came with a caveat, was we drew against a very bad Newcastle, which we proved. Recently, again, we have beaten three 0 in the FA Cup, which they should have won if Andy Carroll was wasn't Andy Carroll. Essentially, um, are these five games for you convincing enough that whatever plan he has will succeed? I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say uh, we jump off the back of that five games to completely switch around because you have to take into the account the teams that Arsenal have been playing. It's been Brighton. West Brom, Newcastle, as you mentioned, and the nil-nil draw against Crystal Palace. So I don't think anyone's under right, the. Right, yeah. 
<laughs> but yeah, I, I don't think anyone's under the illusion that it's going to be all fairy tales and sunshine now. I think, especially with the run that Arsenal are going to go on, where they play Southampton, Manchester United, Manchester City in a few weeks as well, we're going to see what this team is really made of. And especially in that run, I think it's going to be important to see how balanced the team is because that's been a real issue this season where, yes, the free at the back system was kind of efficient in the way that it gave Arteta some sort of plan to move forward. It was too restrictive, I think, where everyone knew the attacking threats was coming from the wing backs and it was just too easy to plan for, especially with how slow uh, the ball was moving from Granite Xhaka, Mo Elneny and Danny Ceballos in midfield. So I think with the the new shape, the new system uh, that's in place, it'll be interesting to see how that works against the bigger teams and whether there is enough depth to, to back up what's been happening in these past few weeks. And personally, I think there should be enough there, but uh, it'll, confidence will also play a big part because... Uh, when it comes to the Manchester United game, the Southampton game, especially especially if we play them twice in the FA Cup and then the Premier League, uh, it'll be interesting to see how they deal with those. Those. <laughs> no. There's a lot of talk. Right? Oh, wow. Sorry. Uh, uh, can I ask you a question, please? Yeah. Uh, um, well, in terms of, do, do you feel, because I, I personally feel this from the outside, that Arteta has responded and done well recently of course but don't you think he's done well by making decisions that he should have made absolutely ages ago it it shouldn't take willian 12 games without registering a shot on target to know that maybe you shouldn't be playing or it shouldn't take it shouldn't take joe willock passing the ball off the pitch 15 times to maybe not play him in the number 10 position now i'm not saying that I'm judging Arsenal for not being in the top four. I understand this isn't the same club, but you, you've at least got your, got to set yourself up for the best possible chance of doing well to at least keep those detractors away. And I don't know if Arteta has done that or if you feel the same way. I do think he was a bit late on some decisions, especially the, the Emil Smith-Rowe one, because that's one where I think it was clear straight away when he was brought in in the Europa League. He is yeah. different from other players in the squad. He is unique. He doesn't do what Willian does, where Willian may receive the ball and then look at his marker and then pass it straight back to Hector Bellerin. Emil Smith-Rowe actually moves off the ball and he knows, he has a picture of what is happening around him and he knows what to do when the ball meets his feet. One thing he does that I absolutely love is almost, not, not all the time, but very often he will receive the ball with one foot and his next touch is almost always with his opposite foot and that's something where the defenders aren't really going to be able to to uh snuff that out yeah, quickly and get it and his just the sharpness of his mind is so much better than those around him and i think that decision had to be made weeks earlier i i, I was lucky enough that i expressed those feelings in an article and have been kind of proven right that I wasn't uh I actually kind of know what I'm talking about at times and there were times where I I was asking him about Emil Smith-Rowe in press conferences so as James Benj at CBS who's at C CBS now and 
at the time it was baffling why Smith Rowe wasn't playing. He was playing for the under 23s at times, and it was just a decision that I couldn't get. And again, with the Willian stuff, it's like bringing him in almost undermined bringing in Nicola Pepe last summer, where Nicola Pepe, I think, was quite strong at the back end of last season, although we all know he needs to improve still. There was a gradual improvement there. And then to start this season as Willian's deputy, I don't think that did him any good. And now we're seeing him in that position again with Bakayo Saka playing at right wing, where I don't think anyone can argue that Pepe has a chance of being the regular starting right wing, right winger with Bakayo Saka in that position. So it is, it is a strange one at times. Well, most of the time at Arsenal, but I, I, I do think there were a couple of occasions where uh, Arteta was a bit too set in his ways uh, for his own good. I, so I think you... it's, I think it's hard to be an Arsenal supporter in public. Like you win a few games, <laughs> <and> you, <laughs> to... you know what I mean. Like you win a few games. You you yeah, no, no, no. It's it's like it, you know you win a few games and everyone's going well. He should have done things very differently much earlier. Then shouldn't he? I think sometimes as a manager, you know, and it's easy for us to say as the punters. But sometimes as a manager, you've maybe just got to let fires burn a little bit. So everyone in the squad now knows why people are playing. You know, they know why it's good that this player's on the pitch now. Uh, you know, there's no alternatives. This is it. This is our way home. And I think if you look at Arsenal, listen, I think Arsenal supporters have got every right to be excited. Uh, not just by the idea of Arteta, but by the idea of there's a group of 23-year-olds who I think look like really good players. And there's the obviously the, there's the two young lads and then there's a couple of other uh, younger players who still could could offer a great deal. And I'm not saying be excited about the, the, the fact that there's, you know, there's silverware, further silverware on the horizon or a top four finish. I just mean sort of be excited about the fact that these are, re- these are good footballers to watch right now and you're getting to go on a journey with them. And the big thing for Arsenal is just keeping hold of them. And I think that if they can go on a journey with them, then next season, you know, with a couple of good improvements and everyone being a year older, you are beginning to have a talk about a bit of a sleeper hit towards top four. I think that there's 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 a lot of promise, but also, you know, we can't just... I mean, we can because we're all achieving it, but we can't just consistently laugh at Arsenal even when they're good at football. It just feels like it's a bit against the rules. And at the minute, I think Arsenal, they do. You know, I'm, I, I saw some of that game last night. And I just think, you know, when that ball goes forward to those right players, I also think Lacazette's playing ever so well. But when that ball goes forward, I think that, you know, you, you think, well, what are these going to do next? What are Saka and Smith Rowe going to do next? And that's what a lot of us want from a footy team, is the idea of watching young, exuberant footballers learn their trade. I think that's a good place to be. And I think if Arsenal yeah. can keep everyone moving, then, you know, they're going to have, they're gonna, they should enjoy the rest of this season, win, lose, or draw. And then next season, it gets deadly serious. Um, oh, sorry, I wanted to ask. Um, Quickly on Aubameyang, because he scored a, a decent goal yesterday. Um, good strike. But I have to ask the question. Obviously, he's been playing left, left wing this season. He was doing it a lot last season as well. His goal return has been as good this season. And before he scored, there was a certain miss. I struggle to explain how exactly he missed. I think what baffles me most by is the fact that he was at his near post and somehow hit the post on the other side before going out far wide. But what is your opinion on Aubameyang and how he's being used by Arteta? You just like also... scored two goals, you just slaughtered him. Oh, well, he should have got a hatchet, shouldn't he? Rubbish. He should have. Yeah, he should have. 
Well, you know, I, I, I was going to slightly rip on them and say, you know, the Aston Villa have four games to hand on them and really intrigued. Exactly. They're back to the levels, anyways. So. Yeah, exactly. And everyone above them has to give a hand on them. But anyway, to the point. Um, what's your uh, opinion on the way Arteta is using Aubameyang? And also, actually, what is what is your opinion on Pepe? Because I'm starting to think maybe in the summer you might have to start thinking about cutting your losses. Because I just don't know if he's going to make the cut at Arsenal. Not that he's a bad player, but maybe sometimes it just doesn't work out. Yeah, first things first. I don't think the issue was playing Aubameyang at left wing because he played there under Arsene Wenger. He played there under Unai Emery. And he played there last season under Mikel Arteta and he was still scoring goals. Okay. I think he's very useful out there because, first of all, when you've got Lacazette in the middle, defenders often get occupied by him and almost forget Aubameyang's out there, even if it's for a split second. Forgetting he's there makes him even more dangerous. And when he drifts in off that left, that's when we've seen him really be a, a force for Arsenal, really, and, and make defensive defenders defenders pay for forgetting he's out there and I think that's probably um, maybe where Arsenal fans and just fans watching Arsenal maybe forget that he's just played there for almost maybe 90% of his time at the club and right. with this season I think the issues came more to do with what was happening around him uh, in terms of he was being asked to push even further left and have uh, Kieran Tierney, who was often playing at centre-back, take up space in, inside, and Maitland-Niles and Bukayo Saka do those roles as well. So that doesn't help. And I think it was just his demands changed as well as the shape of the team, which uh, were to his detriment. Also, I think we mentioned it earlier with uh, uh, other players at Manchester United and Liverpool, Mo Salah uh, and the front three there, where um, the kind of the burnout factor. And I think that's particularly prevalent with Aubameyang because when you look at the defensive work he's been asked to do under uh, Arsene Wenger and Unai Emery, it's totally different to what he's been asked to do under Mikel Arteta. You see the, I think the goal he scored um, against Norwich after the restart last season is an example of him pressing from the front, but that's something he was doing almost every single game from that striker position back to left back where he was having to help Bukayo Saka at the time. And I think that's probably taken a physical uh, effect on his body and shows in how almost a lot, uh, a lot of Arsenal fans have always described him as quite lethargic in recent weeks. And I think that's been seen for, e for everyone. He has looked very different to the Aubameyang that we've been used to. But I think, especially in the last couple of weeks, we've been seeing him make those movements that he used to, but the finishing touch just hasn't been there. He should have scored against West Brom. He should have scored that that chance he brought up, Kojo, uh, against uh, Newcastle last night. But there was also a couple of occasions where he had the chance to cut, cut in onto his right foot and he decided not to. So I think there's still um, times where he is going to maybe disappoint Arsenal fans where... Uh, he is a bit, just a bit tired, really, and doesn't have the energy to do what he used to do. But I, I wouldn't say I'm too discouraged, even though it is disappointing to see how he is performing at the minute. I, I, I'm not shocked by it, I'd say. And then with Pepe, 
he is a player I like. I don't think that he's a terrible player, but it's just about consistently performing at this level. And that's not something he's done since he signed 18 months ago. And I think the criticism is understandable. He's got both himself and Mikel Arteta have got to work to get the best out of him. One game where I was particularly impressed by him um, since he joined was Brighton away in the summer, although Arsenal lost the game. It was a game where I think his first four dribbles were run the outside of his marker. And then the fifth dribble we had, he came back onto his left foot and had, because he made those first four dribbles around the outside, when he finally did cut in, he had the space to bend it into the top corner. And that's, I think, where he's used his mind a bit more to uh, create more options for himself later on in games where he can then be a bit more dangerous when he has uh, worked the space for himself. Uh, but with looking looking into the summer, I, I do think, he, I don't, I'm not sure they'd cut their losses this early with him, but it's going to be a decisive next 18 months for him, I think. I, I think a big problem with Pepe, when, when I watch him, and, and kind of, even though Liverpool were so strongly linked with him last year, why I'm kind of grateful that he didn't come, wisdom in hindsight being said, mm -hmm. um, is that one thing that I don't know if you, if you spot when you watch him a lot are, is that he can't receive the ball on the run. He seems to always control it in such a way where he gets it caught between his feet almost, such that it becomes an isolated situation which makes it comfortable for the fullback and also allows the opposition to set themselves up for whatever combination or whatever angle he's going to try and create. And I think that in a transitional fluid team that I think Arteta's ultimate goal will be to create, I don't know if he's quite conducive to being able to execute that type of football. Yeah, I think that's something we see like quite often with Bukayo Saka, where when he's playing on the right, he's very... Uh, adept at using his right foot, he can take a defender either way. And that is shown in the way he receives the ball one way that like Pepe almost always receives the ball with his, well, sometimes with his back to the defender and then he faces him up and then he has to decide what he's going to do next. And with that, you just make yourself an easy target to get doubled up on or uh, just having to be forced into one direction. And I think with Saka, for the again for the chance that Aubameyang missed, we see how he's come uh, taken the ball with his right foot and the problems it caused for for Newcastle. Whereas I don't think uh, Pepe has done that often enough at Arsenal. One of the games that sticks out is the Olympiacos game uh, uh, at the Emirates last season, where there was yeah. that moment in the, in the second half where he's almost trying to kill everyone with uh, stepovers and shoulder drops, and it's just like past the ball already and i don't think i don't think he does that often enough he, he takes too long sometimes to decide what he's going to do rather than knowing already what is the move to make and that's something that is very frustrating and because the reason it's frustrating is because you can see the ability that he has especially in terms of the technique once he's got that space where if he's worked it out for himself but it's just about getting him into those positions that is really frustrating at times Okay. Fair enough. I would um one more question on Arsenal, and it's kind of wraps back to Neil's point about how well these guys are playing, the, the youth, the contingency of youth players are playing right now, which is well, which maybe I'm being far too negative, but is it a risk to put all the 
attention or all the attacking prowess on Saka, who's an 18-year-old, 89-year-old, Martinelli, who's one injury-prone, two quite young. Um, who else is there? Uh, Mar- uh, said Martinelli. Saka Martinelli. Tierney, who's 23 and shown, he's really quite well. But I feel like we've got a great young, a young uh, group, core group of players. But our elder statesmen, maybe barring... Aubameyang over the past few years have haven't pulled pulled their socks up and played well. Is it a risk to put, especially in a season like this as well, where everything is just so back to back? Put all the all, all our eggs in that one basket. I definitely think so because the I guess the prime example for Arsenal fans is Jack Wilshere that ten eleven season where he played virtually every game, then went straight into the Summer Internationals of England, straight back into pre-season with Arsenal. And then that's where we saw the wear and tear come into play. And then he's out for almost 18 months and never really recovered from that. And I think with these young players, especially Saka, uh, it is about managing their game time because with Smith-Rowe as well, last season when he was at Huddersfield and loan, there was a point uh, where obviously in the Championship, you're playing almost every three days consistently. And Danny Cowley, who was manager, Huddersfield manager at the time, said he had he was booing himself when he was having to rest uh, Smith Rowe because he didn't want to overwork him. And that's something I think football fans in general have to understand. You can't just expect these players to be shipped out every three days and have them perform at the same intensity levels. And I think with these young players in particular, we have to be very careful of that. Mikel Arteta did speak about that uh, after the first lockdown as a point with Bukayo Saka. And I think he really did try to uh, implement a kind of uh, method where he did give him some rest because he, he, from what I remember, he played in the first six games after lockdown and then was on the bench for the next six games, including the FA Cup semi-final and final where he didn't make, even make a single appearance. So I think with these players so young, we have to be careful with them. and. I think the point you make on the older statesman is is a good one as well because when you look at the Arsenal squad, there isn't much balance there. The players that are, uh, the players that are key are either incredibly young or they're incredibly old, <laughs> and you don't have that middle that middle ground. You have Rob Holding, Hector Bellerin, who else? Partey. Partey, who are around that 24, 27 year age mark you don't have a lot of players around that age mark and i think that's where the balance of not just the profile of the player but the age of the player is going to be very uh important over the next couple of years for arsenal thank you thank you very enough. uh fair enough uh let's move on to i'd say our final game because uh it's what we spent like an hour i think we spent like 45 minutes on united liverpool they were yeah the biggest teams in England, of course, man. <laughs> if you say so, if you say so, not the best, not the best. Uh, Manchester City, let's go to there today. They won 4 0 against Crystal Palace, who have looked recently that they can pretty much outplay anybody. So to get four goals, uh, past them is quite quite an achievement. And again, didn't they? Who smashed them? Somebody smashed them recently. Liverpool 7 0. 7 0. Yeah, so I'm just trying out my house. But then again, that's Liverpool. Um, uh, so 4 0. Uh, Sterling, John Stones, Gundu, and, and John Stones again. I say to start, were we. I'm not, I'm not sure if we, but quite a few people were ruling Manchester City out 
one a title contention and two uh, top four contention as well. Were we foolish to to say that? I think we've personally seen an amazing kind of all, the discussion we all had. Everyone here has mentioned the concept of burnout um, happening in the season. I think what we've seen is a very smart and intelligent method of playing, uh, conserving a lot of energy. City games, and I don't even mean this in an exciting way, in an insulting way, because I wish Liverpool were like this, but are very boring to watch at the moment, but very effective with their chance creation and the positions they get the ball in. And you can see by, I think, statistically, they're running a lot less than they have compared to 17-18 and those, those high-pressing City teams. And I think Pep has got it spot on based on the schedule, based on the pure workload of this season he's just developed a way of playing which is drama free but probably will will hold him in good stead throughout the season whereas teams like Liverpool teams like Spurs have started a lot more high octane and now that they're burning out physically City are able to conserve their energy and probably will be able to go on into May in the same way they're playing <laughs> I think I just just to add to that, like for me personally, I was definitely someone that ripped City off at one point during the season. I felt like I was starting to criticize Pep Guardiola a lot. A lot of the times, you know, you see when he's gone to new clubs, he's kind of inherited the team. He's added to it with the transfer window. For me, this is the first time I've seen Pep Guardiola in his whole career rebuild a team. And I'm not saying look, it's not been a massive rebuild, but. As a main life, I've had this pains me, but I've got to give him huge, huge credit. Like, I didn't think he had it in him because there, there was a moment this season that everyone was criticizing Pep Guardiola. Oh, he can only do it when you spend a lot of money. He's still pumping money. And I know he's bought Diaz, who's been an absolute revelation, but he's kind of rebuilding. He's kind of, he's kind of sort of torn down what all the foundations that he laid before with the sort of tiki taka football. And he thought, no, what? I'm going to have to change it. I've got to change the blueprint. And I think he deserves a lot of credit. Gundogan playing alongside, obviously, Rodri in that CDM role, although I'm not a huge fan of his. Um, it has changed the whole system. Gundogan in particular, coming into this season, again, as somebody that a lot of people haven't really uh, paid much notice to, but Pep Guardiola has gotten playing his best football since he's arrived at the club. And I think, as Musha said perfectly there, conserving energy, but he's playing a completely different style of football. Yes, he still has the sort of the sort of core roots of or the foundations of what a Pep Guardiola team is, which is good fluid football. But he's completely shifted sort of mentality, and I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. And as we all all know, is you know the titles won on defense, not attack. Attack wins your games, defense wins your titles. And that Man City defense, I was saying it to Colger before they played Man United. I didn't even know these were the stats, but they hadn't conceded a goal in that like, six games prior to playing Man United. Obviously, they got a clean sheet against us as well. Uh, so they've got like what conceded one goal in eight games, and that's kind of gone under the radar completely. So in that sense, he's for me personally deserves a lot of credit. Yeah, they were criticised a lot last season um, for not replacing Vincent Company. Obviously, yeah. that's a huge loss. You know, when you lose your leader at the back, you need someone to come and take that spot. So, like how Liverpool, obviously, lost Van Dijk to injury. So, because he's such a massive presence, not only in the whole defence, but in that whole team, you need someone to try and take that step and maybe just cover it. You, you're not going to replace Van Dijk just like that, but someone to maybe take that step. I knew I'm missing that at the back. John Stones was not playing anywhere the way he's playing now. He wasn't playing anywhere like that last season and at the beginning of this season as well. Um, but the signing of Ruben Diaz, uh, me and Usman spoke about this yesterday. <laughs> I, I, was, I was fuming. I was fuming when he signed for them because 
he was one of the few centre backs that I I really wanted because I'm so I'm so focused on defenders that still for me sort of like look like they appreciate the art of defending even though it's not it looks like a lost start these days. Yeah. Um, that was such a big sign. He's such a huge player because next to Laporte he's looked good and Laporte looks good for him as well. And then Stones has come in and Stones has. I'm not gonna try. I'm not trying to say it's because of Diaz because Stones has leveled up and he's starting to show his improvement in his game. That'll be part of coaching, part of him waiting to improve. But Diaz is like the perfect partner. He's come in seamlessly. He's played every game since he's joined the club and he has dropped a minimum of seven out of 10 in each of those performances because that's the kind of player that he is. And he was a leader at the, his previous club, Benfica, was captain there um, in the Portuguese team um, in the internationals. He's looked upon as a kind of a leader within that squad as well. So players like that, when you add them and you add the right pieces into the team, as Liverpool fans will know, as we will know, as Arsenal fans will know previously, Chelsea, anyone that's won Premier League, you add the right players at the right time. And they haven't won the title yet, of course, but you you wouldn't look past them because the way they've improved in the last couple of weeks and the way they're looking imperious and they won a game 5-0 but after that it was 2-0 1-0 2-1 they're not they don't have to go out and snap, slap every team to show that they are dominant it's the way they're seeing out games and controlling their opponents it's no more about I need to outscore you they are scoring you they are outscoring you and they're not conceding and that's very dangerous I, I think he's, I think they've adapted, they've dropped five yards. They remind me a lot, and again, this will sound like a pejorative and it isn't, but they remind me a lot of Rodgers' as Swansea, uh, okay. where there's a lot of control in the game without trying to score a goal. You know, there's still, even when you look at the numbers after uh, Manchester City matches, you come away and you say things like Imperius, they beat Palace 4-0, you praise them. The collective expected goals for City in the matches, fewer than one. They don't create that many very good opportunities. There's a couple of set pieces in there, but they never feel in danger. And I, I think that there's there's a lot to be said for that at the minute. There's a lot to be said for that this season. But that was the case earlier in the season and they weren't converting the chances. And I think that that will still remain the, the key thing for City is that they've got to ride this wave for a period of time because I don't see how this works if you then decide right now we're going to absolutely up the attacking tempo. I think that they'll go back to the being gaps and all that sort of stuff because they are defending that little bit deeper. It suits Stones a little bit more. They're using this progressive passing earlier in the game, uh, further from further back and the, the building from there. I you know, I, th- I don't think we should ever have been uh, looking beyond City uh, really for the title I felt before the ball was kicked this season, you know, and I still do broadly. It'll be one of City or Liverpool because they are just the better sides with the better players. Uh, the thing with City is that they're the ones who are currently in, in possession of form, in possession of momentum uh, and in possession of, of playing well. All of that said, I haven't got a clue what happens in their game against Villa this week. Not least because I haven't got a clue what Villa are going to look like with reference to COVID, but also there's a lot of there's a lot of what Villa do and the way they can play in bursts that City won't like, uh, and it will be a bit of a test for them because it's one thing to keep the ball away from a Roy Hodgson Crystal Palace side on the road, but it's another thing when you're dealing with Jack Grealish's Aston Villa if he's indeed fit and available because he won't want to stop. He'll want to play like his life depends on it, like he always does. So I. I still think there's a fair way to go for City, and this is their kindest run of fixtures. If you look at the, the rest of their fixtures for the rest of the season, but you know, ultimately for me, I think you've got to say the favourites at the moment for the title. I'd be, I'd be, you know, I'd, I'd have them there as favourites for the title. Uh, they know, they know what to do, and they know what they're about. With De Bruyne, they've got the best all-round midfielder in the in the league. Uh, they've got the man who can break defences open. And when this season's a bit Roy of the Rovers, if you've got a Roy of the Rovers player, uh, the best one is Kevin De Bruyne, not just by a little bit either. I'd say I think he's the best Royal the Rovers player in the league by by some distance. I think he's far superior to um, a couple of his much-vaunted rivals like James Rodriguez or uh, or Bruno Fernandes. 
just on that as well, I think it's so important that it, it's been made a little bit of a joke on Twitter, but you never really know who's going to be starting for Manchester City. But there's that FPL joke where uh, every well, almost I've got every select- he's shafted me, so yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> like, <happy>. <laughs> <laughs> like every FPL game week, you don't know what selection he's going to choose, who's going to you who you're going to have to put into your starting lineup, and I think Phil Foden was the latest example, but. Even with that, you just see the strength, strength and depth of their squad, but also the balance of that strength. And I think that's something that a lot of teams lack. And going into uh, when the Champions League returns uh, and also the other cup uh, fixtures, I think that's going to help them massively as well for when uh, the the real running comes into play uh, at, at the back end of this season. I think the only place where I do have a little bit of hope for some form of uh, you know, some form of slowing down from City is that one thing that's been a bit of a familiar pattern this season, and, and it especially was that at the start of the season, was that it still feels like in comparison to 2017 or 18, where they had multiple routes to goal, I still feel like the Kevin De Bruyne to Sterling path is the only dependable one. I know Gundogan gets a lot of goals, but he doesn't really play in that position to prove as a regular source of goals. And I don't think that Riyad Mahrez is having a great season, in all honesty. So I think that is the only place where there's a lot of pressure on Sterling to take all of the chances he's getting, pretty much. Otherwise, I think City can can see some of these one nils and two nils becoming nil nils. I think they've only scored they've only scored more than more than one goal in six games. 17 games in more than one goal in six games this season and they lost oh. one of them 5-2 to, to Leicester but they you know the the side if they win the game in hand uh, they decide who will be leading the Premier League and they, they're worthy of significant respect and also they've done this without a pre-season and let me be crystal clear if Jurgen Klopp hadn't have had a pre-season the way Pep Guardiola hadn't you wouldn't hear the end of it <laughs> I'm happy a Liverpool fan said that I didn't even mention Klopp's tears I completely forgotten about him but you know it is what it is <laughs> uh, should we get one last quick game in Chelsea Fulham? Why not? Oh, yeah, I, go on then, go on then. I like complaining about Chelsea, so let's go. Yeah, let's do what's more one as well. Oh no, here we go. <laughs> 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 Coach has started already. But I, I should be honest, Timo Werner, I, I kind of mentioned it yesterday. Like, the guy's got an abundance of quality, hasn't he? I, I, I'm a massive fan of his. Obviously, I've watched Robbie Lapsley because Nagas needs to come to my United. That's the side note. Um, but like, in terms of Timo Werner, I just think the whole issue is Frank Lampard and the, the selection. Everyone's out of position. Like, There's not many players that are currently in position. Like, You see Hudson-Odoi, a lot of Chelsea fans on social media are crying for Hudson-Odoi. I've been saying he needs to be playing, not because he's been the most impactful player in the recent times, but... They need that width, and you've got someone like Timo Werner. Clearly, he's just—he's clearly lacking in confidence. His ability, as coach, you said yesterday, um, it's not even just his finishing. It's gone down to the point that he can't even play football now because he can't even take anyone on. He can't even pass the ball. His confidence is that short. He's practically on the floor. So, for me mm. personally, I think you potentially could take him out the firing line and then ease him back in. Because at the moment, if you're playing him and he's constantly dropping, basically two out of tens. He's just going to make it worse for him. Or either that, or play him in up front. Because at the moment, he's looking like Maratta to me. And obviously, they don't want to go down that route, do they, really? <laughs> Damn, Maratta. Oh, man. You know what it is about me, for him, is that... Obviously, I think what, where I'm a bit frustrated with Lampard in terms of when, uh, 
Havertz, so on and so forth, is when you sign players from um, Leipzig and you see the way teams in the Bundesliga play minus Bayern, which is obviously a lot of high line, very high pressing, and every time you saw a goal from Werner in that league, eight times out of ten, it was a case of counter-attacking. He cuts yeah. him from that left side, uses his pace, he just bombs down and he finishes. Um, but he's not a winger. He will drift off of there, but he starts as a striker. He's a number nine. And if there was a time where teams were sitting a bit deeper, like, for example, when they beat Tottenham last season, his movement was decent enough to find spaces in the box to finish. Now, I'm not going to blame Lampard for what Werner's finishing because yeah. some of the chances he's missed this season, there's, there's no amount of coaching that you can do to, to change that. I'm talking about missing when you're practically on the line. I'm talking about a one-on-one against Fulham where you have no pressure on you. It's 1-0, game's done, really and truly. Even if you, I mean, if you don't score it, of course, it doesn't change anything as proven, but surely that's a chance that you should be taking better, at least to make the keeper work, and it went completely far wide of the, the goal. You know, I can't blame Lampard for that, but the way he utilises some of these players and the way they they are now shoehorned into this team and the reason, and that's why people like Kai Havertz are getting ripped into and then Mason Mount, through no fault of his own, in my opinion, is being made a scapegoat in terms of why is Mount always starting, why is Mount this, why is Mount that. I don't think... Well, Mount's been their, one of their best players, if not the best. Can I say something to... De- I don't want to say defend Lampard here, but there's something I sympathise with him for and that is that now, su- supporting Liverpool, we, we've managed to see three to four years of a progressive build of a team, right? Where along with the personnel developing in, in a nice transitional way, you also see the ideas become clearer and clearer. I think what we saw from Lampard last year, where I think Lampard was very popular with a lot of people, hence why he was up for awards, but also received plaudits as well because he'd come in, we all know, no transfer, um, we had the transfer ban, no hazard, so on and so forth. It's almost like he was developing an identity and a method of playing. And then suddenly, instead of getting one or two players every window, you're shoved with six new first teamers. And it's almost like you, you haven't, I'm, and I'm not saying other managers wouldn't want that. Other managers would dream of having 250 million play, million pounds of players. But when a manager is not only learning to manage a team, but also as a young coach, only two, three years in management, who's learning his own identity, is almost forced him to veer away from a natural progression into this superstar team, which I don't think he was ready for or he expected so quickly. Yeah, oh, no, I think I've I've got like a few Chelsea fans that I talk to quite regularly and they they almost said qualifying for the Champions League was almost like shooting himself in the foot because now he's almost a year ahead of where he should have been in the kind of, you'd say, the progression, I guess you'd call it, where now the expectations are so much higher than they probably would have been if he, that if he went on a normal kind of season and just got Europa League football. And I think that probably hasn't helped him either with the, I guess, resources it gave him in the summer, him and Chelsea in the summer. And I think we're probably seeing the result of that vision probably getting a little bit clouded with that um, excess in resources. I tell you what, Arsenal get slaughtered and people are being so kind to Lampard here. I was just about to say that. Honestly, honestly, the way you've all been. I mean, you can, if you, my thing on the Lampard thing would be, what was it meant to look like last season? Do you get 62 points 
or something like that. And I can't think of a big game where I'm, I've come away from it, which which they were involved in, other than ironically the one that handed Liverpool the title, where you know, have any real sense of, <laughs> of, what, of, of what of what this lamp of what this Chelsea side was sort of meant to be. Where's its line? Does it play a high line, a medium line, a low line? Uh, what does he want from his midfielders? What's his expectations on Angolo Kante, other than to at times it looks like be the entire midfield? Um, um, I, I, I find it really, really strange to watch, to be honest. And I, do th- I don't think it's easy for him, but then, you know, you don't have to take the job when it's offered to you. Uh, you can decide that you do want to go and, 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 and learn a bit more about what your trade is. I mean, th- th- there's a huge amount of irony that it would appear that the, uh, the Chelsea uh, legend has been much more modest in his coaching ambitions thus far as being John Terry. Um, there is, you know, across, across the board for me. I'm looking at Lampard, and I'm I'm astounded, frankly, that he's that he's that he's still in that job. Other than, and I think if he wasn't Lampard, he wouldn't be. Not least, not not because not because literally the points haul now for two consecutive seasons, but because I just don't know what on earth do you think it is. And I wonder whether or not they've got someone lined up, and the, you know, the, the, he's almost just there as well, a place apparently, home. Apparently, 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 they have got someone lined up. Just to come back to what you said, that art right. The reason I don't agree with what you, what those Chelsea fans are saying to you, first and foremost, yeah. right? I'm sure everyone's going to agree. And Man United came third. If that doesn't indicate to you how poor the league was last season, I don't think <laughs> that anything will. We I came third. Points with, came third, yeah. When Pereira <laughs> Lingard played the most games than any Man United played last season, practically in attacking line, and we came third with Pereira Lingard. I know, obviously, you know, Pogba and Bruno carried us in the end, but just to put into context, right? The expectations are not high because they came fourth. The expectations are high because they bought two. They paid. They bought. They spent two hundred fifty million, right, on quality talent. Werner for RB Leipzig, which Liverpool wanted him for a reason. By the way, Liverpool wanted when Lesnar. But I think people forget mm-hmm. how. I, I think people forget how highly sought out a player he is. Werner was one of the best young talents. I know Jovic was similar, obviously, previous seasons and obviously didn't work out for him. But Werner, Havers, under Frank Lampard, one of the best number 10s this country's ever produced. It arguably the best uh, of his generation in Goldstone into the box. Havers is basically, that's his bread and butter. Under Lampard, you'd think Havers would have went to the next level. You've got Chilwell, who's been fairly good, to be fair. Thiago's come in, been good. They spent 70 plus million on a goalkeeper. A lot. He's not good enough. Let's buy another one. He's been back to the hills, right? And that's why he's under pressure. And at the end of the day, he's had a couple of injuries. The ZH1, I'll forgive him on that because he's a quality player and he's not been there. However, if you look at the plays, and I think Neil touched upon it, Kante has been made to do a job. Kante is one, arguably one of the best CDMs in the world who's already at the club. Kovacic is a proper footballer. So he's got two plays there that he's inherited in Kovacic and Kante as a double pivot that he's already, ha- he's already got. Giroud's as a second option, is not a bad option. He's also got Abraham as a potential third option, not a bad option. He's barely played people in the right position. So to say that the expectations are high based on last season, I think that Chelsea fans being kind to Lampard because at the end of the day, Man United came third. He bottled that. He bottled that top four last season. The fact that Man United finished above him is an absolute joke. We were like twelve points behind him. He's just fortunate that Leicester were even worse than him come the end of the last season. So. I don't think they, he deserves that much praise for that season. Come the end of it, he bottled it for me. They got one 0 up in the cup semi final against Chelsea. 
don't win the game. Um, and it, these are just one-off games, so it can sound harsh. They get taken to the cleaners by Bayern. Bayern were brilliant, but they still don't put up any degree of a fight in front of a packed Stamford Bridge. We remember that game as though it's a pandemic game. It wasn't. It was pre-pandemic. And yeah. Bayern Munich turned up to, our, to Chelsea's ground, to Stamford Bridge, which, by the way, should be one of the most terrifying places to go in England, and absolutely did a number on them all over the place. Um, it's hard for us, Art. I mean, you know, Arsenal might just wander, wander up there and win. I don't know, but it's always... <laughs> <laughs> we had a 2-2 win. 2-2 <laughs> win with Martinelli's goal. There we go. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think, you know, you look within all of that, like there's been noises this week, there'll still be a place for Ruben Loftus-Cheek when he comes back from Fulham. Oh, well, by the way, we, we said we were going to talk about Fulham as well. I thought Fulham... Uh, Fulham look so full of spirit well, design. Yeah. Completely different so. team, though. Yeah, yeah. the on leaps and bounds. But you know, Ruben Loftus cheek, he, he's been sent away. Barkley's been sent away. They brought in, you don't count the money, but you they brought in Thiago Silva. I'm just looking at them thinking it should surely be. Not just Neil has got no excuse. Neil has got no yeah, excuse. Let's be real. Yeah. Absolutely no excuse. Uh, you're forgetting that Polisic obviously didn't even sign him. He's been injured. He's come back into the team as well. He's got quality in abundance. Look, he's had a couple of injuries. But if you compare their team and Chelsea fans, if you could go back to the videos that they made at the start of the season, they were talking about the title on the back of that window. They weren't even talking about top four. They were, if you speak to Chelsea, obviously us fans, we get deluded and all that good stuff. But every Chelsea fan, oh, we're first or second this season. And now they're talking about, oh, because he did whatever he did last season. You put the expectations as fans expecting to be up there with the Liverpool and Man City. Now, they're well below Bob. They've got Leicester tonight, and if Leicester beat them, Leicester are nine points ahead. And that's the midway point of the season, realistically. Leicester are nine points ahead if they beat them tonight. And if Leicester exactly. go nine points ahead of them, that is scandalous. Because I, I think Leicester have done really well under the circumstances. Absolutely. But they have not got to say anywhere near the same strength as that, that Chelsea side. Exactly. If they nine points ahead of them, then that would be absolutely ridiculous. I think we're at a place where, more often than not, you find out a manager isn't good enough for a club by him managing somewhere else and then you having enough proof to know he shouldn't manage there. Whereas through some form of, whether you want to call it reputation, nepotism, whatever you want to call it, Lampard has found out he's not good enough to manage Chelsea by managing Chelsea. I think that that's kind of what's happened, unfortunately. I mean, I mean he, was, he was at Derby first, so to go from Derby to Chelsea is one hell well, of a climb. That's not, that's not a body of evidence, is it, Kojo? I mean, ultimately... No, it's not. But the expectation, the expectation levels, as we know, are clearly different. So whether your quality as a you coach... More of Derby. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, You've got to know what you're jumping into. And because you are a former player, people will think that, but, you know... Me personally, I'm, I'm enjoying it anyway. Quite frankly, I want Chelsea to suffer, anyway, so I'm, I'm oh, going to do it. in. Oh, You said you wanted to talk about Tottenham. I don't know why they're disgusting, but go on. Talk about Tottenham. Oh, no, no. I, I said let's talk about how embarrassing Sheffield United have become. Well, I, I, do you want me to speak from as someone who works for them? Um, so can, yeah, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. The academy. Listen, I'm not, I'm not going to throw this out there, but since I've not been at the academy, it's gone downhill. I'm just throwing that out there right now. <laughs> but it's, it's not. It's, it could be potentially because of me. But I used to always high five the players, and it's just that morale and all that good stuff. But, um, I, 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 look, I don't want to single out any players, but Ramsdale's been an absolute shambles. Like, like obviously, it's not just Ramsdale, Ramsdale, of course, it's not. But Henderson was saving him so many last season because. Like I used to go to a lot of games because I get a few season tickets. So, and the amount of games Henderson saved them. There's a lot of factors 
to why they're doing it poorly. First and foremost, no fans is a huge factor. Like their fans at Bramall Lane literally used to win them so many games, if not just get gave similar to Liverpool. Um, although I don't want to give them credit, but Liverpool on a Champions League night at Anfield was almost. It's almost, uh, it's, uh, it's almost, uh, they can't get beaten really to the extent. The Sheffield United, to an extent, were that last season. So, a lack of fans, a, a lack of striker. They haven't got a striker to, to actually score from. If you actually look at all their results and obviously look at the score lines, bar like three or four games, they've lost by one goal every game. And a lot of relegations mm-hmm. team in the past, that, uh, I know everyone's comparing to Derby, but those teams normally used to get sucked 5 0, 4 0. And every single game they've been with, they've been in every single game, but they've had no quality. I think their leading goal scorer is McGoldrick this season, yeah, who amazing. didn't score until the back end of last season, which really sort of indicates where they are. I think there's a lot of factors, but I think it's mainly down to the lack of fans, um, a lack of creativity. Obviously, they haven't got a goal scorer for me, and Ramsdale's been an so, absolute. So, bro, do you, do you think? Do you, oh yeah, that's that's pretty much baby Pickford. But um, do you? Do you think like that's why, for example, it was poor to because the money spent on Brewster? I I didn't understand the signing. That signing didn't make sense to me. That's well, not they should have, they should have went for for me personally. I said they should have went for Wilson. Like obviously, look, I understand. Mm, okay. Look, he's, he's gone to Newcastle, etc. But I just think it makes more sense. Bruce is a young lad, uh, similar to Lampard in terms of he needs to learn his trade. Uh, as, uh, I just think they put too much pressure on him, and you've got players around him that aren't creating any chances. Yeah, like. Right. They, They've got no creativity there. Sanderberg is their main creative force. And he's not really known for that. He's a good midfielder, don't get me wrong, but he's not known for that. So uh, I just think they've recruited so poorly, which you've seen in the past with teams that, you know, seem to struggle coming up. They seem to have done it in the second year. They've recruited so poorly. And Mm. that is the reason why they are where they are. I think there's two players, sorry, Usman. Just one thing that I've noticed is just so different to last season. I thought... Ender Stevens at left wing back was a contender for team of the year last year. He was that good was as so an attacking outlet, driving the ball. He's had a shocking season. Oli Nor- Norwood last season was spraying the ball about fantastically yeah. in midfield. He's barely played. He's barely played. And, and it just feels like so many of the pieces, and you, you've got to sympathize at centre back because I think two or three of them are injured well, out they, of the well, team. This, McConnell. This, uh, McConnell's been out for. Yeah, well, Jack, Jack O'Connor's basically their Van Dyke. He's their captain. Mm. He's a leader. He's like six foot through. The guy's an absolute tank. And he's he's the main reason that they're struggling at the back in terms of defense. But if you actually even look back to last season, their starts. They didn't score that many goals last season. They just didn't concede. Like mm. they had one of the best defenses in the league. But in terms of their goal difference, it was only like plus sixteen, plus seventeen. It wasn't even that much. So mm. it's yeah, it's just one of the things. The longer you stay in the game, of course, you have an opportunity to score. So yeah, Ender Stevens being poor, Baldock's being poor as well. It's it's because I don't see him anymore. It's just it's just gone down. Honestly, I think no, I think I think there's something in O'Connell. O'Connell gives Stevens the platform to go and play. Yeah, absolutely. He plays outside him, so O'Connell's given him that yeah. platform. He plays outside him there. The fact that the, I think it does stem from that. You've basically had a defensive unit with that back three and the keeper where you've lost fifty yeah. percent of it. The keeper's gone, 
And uh, O'Connell's only been able to play two games all season, and he's yeah. not coming back anytime soon. And I think it's just put doubt through the whole of that side. And I think the creativity thing is, you know, with reference when you first said Wilson, I thought I thought you meant Harry Wilson. You were thinking about players to buy from Liverpool. But one of the one of the thing problems I think they've had is is when you you know they brought Brewster, who's very much a penalty box striker. They can't get yeah. the ball in the penalty box. Yeah, there's no the penalty box striker if you can't get into the penalty box. Yeah, even with the recruitment as well. That's because they. They got Brewster, but they were also very, very interested in Flo Balogun from Arsenal, who's again a penalty box strike who's had very little He's Premier so League. Young as well. Exactly. So when when you're actively targeting these type of players, I'm I'm not sure that's probably the right area to look for when you're yeah. trying to secure your uh, Premier League status. I want, I want him to go for storage. That's who I that's who I would go for if I was them because. I know he's injury prone, and people say that is the most gamble of gambles because he could literally get injured walking into the, the, the training complex. But I just think his experience, six months loan, he's out of contract. You've seen, obviously, with Jack Wilshire going back to Bournemouth, these guys want to be playing. At the end of the day, Jack Wilshire had that sort of spot with West Ham with, with his arrogance. But at the end of the day, when it comes down to it, they want to be playing football. And I think Sturridge on a six month contract. He potentially could get the best out of Brewster as well, you know that link up alongside him. I, they need someone proven that they haven't got any any goal scorers. McGoldrick is a top goal scorer, and he's not really known for that as well. He's a creative player, was meant to be, anyways. Meant to be. <laughs> <laughs> had, had to be Steve Bruce to give them three points, though, innit? Uh. <laughs> oh God! I think we should uh, wrap it up there. It's been a really fun. 150th special episode. There we go. Coach, I'll, I'll, end, I'll end with you, Coach, in a minute. We thank Art DeRoach, Mush, Usman and Neil. Uh, for, firstly, where can they find you, Art? Uh, so I'm most frequently on Twitter. Uh, my name's Art DeRoche, A-R-T-D-E-R-O-C-H-E. And yeah, find me there. Mush, where can I talk you? Talk you? Fine. Find you. <laughs> Yeah, um, the name is apt. If you uh, just search Talking Too Mush on uh, on Twitter, you'll be able to find me. Uh, hopefully, just a quick little plug. I've got a uh, a comedy podcast coming called None of Our Business, which is all about uh, growing up in England as an Asian person. And it's for all of us. <laughs> non bread on a Friday night, all sorts. So, yeah, it should be good. And it's coming soon. Love that. Where can I find you? Uh, just on uh, Twitter, Osman Talks United, or on YouTube, where Kojo is obviously a regular as well. You'd love to see it. <laughs> and new where can it find you? Uh, emphatically still in ours, uh, but also the AnfieldRap.com for all the Anfield Rap stuff, and on the Twitter, at Knox underscore Harrington. Uh, but just feel free to knock around, so you'll have to stand two metres away in the drive. <laughs> <laughs> and Coach... I'll leave you to wrap it all up. Where can they find us? Uh, yeah, so I've put everyone's um, links as well in the bio, just in case anyone didn't catch any of that. So it's all in the bio as well, all the links to the YouTubes, uh, Twitters, and so on and so forth. Um, of course, you can find us on Spotify. You can find us on SoundCloud. You can find us on our podcast, Free Midfield. That's the same as Twitter. And on YouTube right here, of course, at the Free Midfield Podcast. And you can find me in first place. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, Paul Yeah, 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 I said it. Yeah. 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 Actually, I'm going to say thank you, but nah, screw you, coach. That's about what I was done. Come on now. Nah, disrespectful. Disrespectful, anyway. <laughs> <laughs>
Thank you all very much for joining us. Uh, this has been the Premier Podcast. Good night. <laughs> <laughs>